When you hear this well-known tune from Barrington Levy, you probably think that it was recorded and produced in Jamaica. But hey, you'll be wrong. This song was actually recorded at Philip Smart's HCNF studio in Long Island, New York, and produced by Hyman Wright, owner of the Jal Life record label, which is based not in Kingston, Jamaica, but in Brooklyn. Hello, I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. Reggae has long been considered the music of Jamaica, but even well before Jamaican gained its independence in 1962, Jamaicans have been living and working abroad in cities such as Miami, London, and of course, New York. And wherever they go, Jamaicans have brought their music along with them. On this edition of Afropop Worldwide, we're going to delve into a bit of history on the prolific but often overlooked story of reggae and dancehall in New York City. We'll talk to producers, artists, and a reggae historian in hopes of putting a spotlight on what was once a vibrant and important location in the development of reggae and dancehall. This a Gideon, righteous revealing in this dispensation. And I this a time, yeah. Alright, prophecy revealing, prophecy revealing. Oh yes. So what you sow, you shall reap. Reggae fans may recognize that voice. Yes, it's the late Sugar Minot with Wicked Ago Feel It from the 1984 album with the same name. Let me tell you, I know one day you're gonna weep. Oh, yes, cause the wicked ago feel it in a disa amagidian. Wicked ago feel it in a disa amagidian. Righteous reveal it in this dispensation. What many may not know about this song is that, much like Barrington Levy's Murderer, it was recorded not in Kingston, Jamaica, but in New York City for Lloyd Bulwaki Barnes at his studio in the Bronx. When you talk about the golden era of New York reggae, Bulwaki Barnes and his label Wackies is a good place to start. Lloyd Bulwaki Barnes moved to New York in the 70s and has been producing music there ever since. Wacky's sound is unique, characterized by its sparse production and heavy use of dub elements like reverb and delay. It's almost immediately recognizable to those familiar with his production, and during his most prolific time in the late 70s and early 80s, it sounded like almost nothing that was coming out of Jamaica. Bubbling out, bubbling out. 
To learn more about the wacky sound, we called journalist David Katz, author of Solid Foundation, an oral history of reggae at his home in London, to help us shed some lights on the unique New York-based producer. The first seeds of New York's thriving reggae and dancehall scene go back to the pioneering sound system operator and record producer Lloyd Bullwacky Barnes. It's crucial to the whole development of the reggae scene in New York. Bulwaki grew up in Trenchtown, which is a rough neighborhood in Kingston, Jamaica. He got his nickname from a local gang he used to run with called the Bulwakis. Eventually, he moved to New York City, and it isn't long before he started a sound system and began producing music. Here's Cats again. Bulwaki ends up establishing New York's very first reggae sound system, which naturally was called Wackies. So Bulwaki is really an integral force in this whole development of that scene. And he doesn't only limit himself to having a sound system. Setting up a recording studio was a natural next step. While Bulwaki recorded a number of well-known Jamaican artists like Horace Andy and Wayne Jarrett, he also produced tracks for lesser-known names that came from the surrounding Jamaican community in the Bronx and throughout New York City. And in many ways, well, it was through these recordings that Bulwaki was able to really cultivate his unique sound. Let's have a listen to a track from the Lovejoys, a mysterious roots reggae duo made up of two cousins, Sonia and Claudette. The two originally hailed from England but ended up in the Bronx, where they recorded just a handful of songs, all for the Wackies in print. Here's the Lovejoys.
I think Bullwacky was very much of his community, and the sound system was a cornerstone of that community. And the way he described it, they weren't even necessarily thinking about making music. It's just the way it evolved from the sound system. It's rough and ready, low budget, lo-fi music for uh, a rough and ready environment. The Bronx in those days was very rough. Bulwaki's music was so different than the sounds coming out of Jamaica, it never really gained popularity on the island. But as Bulwaki told us when we visited him in his studio in the Bronx, that wasn't necessarily his intention. Here's Bulwaki himself. You know, I try to tell people this all the time. You can listen to what's going on in Jamaica and then you go in the studio to create. Because if you do that, then you lack the abilities to even be your own self. If you think about Jamaica, it's very insular, whereas New York, there's a lot of different cultural information that's all around. So it, it, it makes sense that what Wacky was creating wouldn't necessarily make sense to Jamaicans in Jamaica. Bulwaki's intentions were instead to do something new and different, but he always kept the listener in mind, and in doing so, hoped to recreate, in many ways, the experience of hearing a live sound system. I remember the sound system. You know, when you go in the place, you put on the record, you know, you put on the reverb, you put on the echo. I was thinking of delivering the complete sound to somebody who only had just like a cassette deck. And they would still get some reverb, they get some delay. It would imitate that whole process. You know what I mean? So that was my whole thing. Love something, you gotta invest in it. You know, it's like us plant, man. You put a seed in the ground, you gotta invest water, time, grooming, make sure it's, you know what I mean, before you get that flower or that fruit. While Bulwaki was cutting tracks up in the Bronx in the late 70s and early 80s, across the East River, in the boroughs of Brooklyn and Queens, Jamaican-owned and operated studios, record stores and labels were popping up at a rapid pace at the same time. To give us a bit of a context, we chatted with Jeremy Freeman, a.k.a. Scratch Famous, of Deadly Dragon Sound, a record store and sound system based in New York City that specializes in reissuing vinyl, much of it from the very period we are talking about. 
We chatted a bit with Jeremy down at his shop in New York's always bustling Chinatown. New York experienced like a huge migration from Jamaica. Like before, England had people going from the 50s, from the 40s, but New York didn't have anyone really coming. There wasn't a significant Caribbean population until the 70s. And very quickly, that Jamaican community started really building studios. You had Wackies in the Bronx, you had Cross Studios, Philip Smart Studios, HCNF. You know, these were legitimate, real studios that opened up. We also had VP Records opening up a shop and distribution center in Queens. Now it is the largest reggae label in the world. Famed Jamaican producers, Henry Junjo Laws of Volcano and Coxon Dodd of Studio One, spending significant time in the city. While in Brooklyn neighborhoods like Crown Heights and Flatbush, the Jamaican music scene was beginning to thrive. There was tons of stores. In Brooklyn, there was probably 15 reggae stores. In Bronx, there was probably another 10 to 15 stores. You know, another one in Manhattan, there was at least five or six different just pure reggae stores. There was all these artists and all this talent and people were coming from Jamaica to go on tour and they liked being here. Reggae singer Carlton Livingston is one such artist who moved to New York City from Jamaica and never left. Despite calling New York City's home, Livingston continued his recording career and even scored a number of hits back in Jamaica. We interviewed Carlton one evening in our Brooklyn studios. But first, let's hear a track from him that was recorded and produced, well, you got it, New York City. Come on, Natty Straight, come on. Come on, Natty Straight, come on. Make we nice up the When Livingston arrived in Brooklyn in the early 80s, he had already cut a number of tracks for Channel One and worked with famous Jamaican producers Sly and Robbie, Coxon Dodd and Winston Riley. 
He also formed a friendship with Hyman Wright, the head of the Jar Life label located on Utica Avenue in Brooklyn. Livingston recorded a number of cuts for Jar Life, including one of his most famous tracks, 100 Pounds of Collie Weed. With the hundred weight of collie weed Coming from centers Centers A hundred weight of collie weed Coming from centers Centers But even today, people think that this track was cut in Jamaica, not in New York. Even the label on some of the original vinyl pressings stated incorrectly that Henry John Joe Laws produced the record, which is not the case. Here is reggae singer Carlton Livingston. In those days, a lot of stuff came out of New York. And I don't know if they put it to the back burner. But what it is is that there is this thing in a lot of people's mind where they think that everything comes out of Jamaica. A lot of good stuff come out. You know, we were recording in New York in the early 80s, 90s. You know, and because of the perception that everything comes out of Jamaica. And if you record here, it's like they look down on it. And for me as an artist, I always look at them and said, yo, most of my stuff that I have recorded is in America. If you look at the green sleeve label, it says Roots Radix. No, I Life Players. It was recorded at Philly Smart Studio. And it says John Jalai is a producer. No, it's Jalife is a producer. It's just that Jalife and Jonja was working together and Jonja came to America and heard the song and he took the song back to play on Volcano and to this day that song has never been remixed. Every time you hear it, it's just a dub version that Jalife mixed and give Jonja. We have never remixed that song to this day. Livingston got the idea for the song from what sounded like quite a wild party he attended down in Washington, D.C. I came like 82. I was in D.C., D.C., Maryland, with you know, some guys that I know. And I remember one night they had a dance, and I, it took me to a house. And when I went, when you come to the house, it was like, see, come let me show you something. I was like, yeah. So I went to the basement, and <laughs> I've never seen so much weed in my life. <laughs> that place was reeking, and I was like, yo. So that's how the song came about. Livingston told us the first vocal version of the song had slightly different lyrics that referred to the contraband coming from down south, as in Jamaica to New York. But that Jalife suggested different lyrics. The first cut that we did was coming from down south. And then one, I remember one evening come, I was like, I'm going to the studio, I was like, yeah, come on. So I went over there and I was like, see, sing coming from sentence because that's where a lot of weed come from. So we end up doing the two cuts. While the track may reenact the story of a high-speed chase for some drug smugglers, it's also significant because it opens a window into an often overlooked side of the reggae music industry in New York, the role of the drug trade. When you came into the 80s, suddenly you had real drug money. And I mean, there's no way to talk about it without that's the reality. You had enormous influx of drug money coming in from Jamaica because a lot of people left during the kind of like civil war in Jamaica, a lot of people came over, all the soldiers came over 
Spangler's Shower Posse, they all came to New York. And those people were making enormous amounts of money in drugs and guns and everything. And a very easy way to launder money was to put it into sound system, entertainment, and all those things. And that's a reality, and it can't be denied. During that period, a lot of stores flourished. Hmm. Drugs, civil wars, soldiers, bosses. Uh, Sounds like we need a brief history lesson. In the years immediately following Jamaica's independence from Great Britain in 1962, there was quick economic growth, but along with it, a sense of social and economic inequality rose. At the time, and even today, there are really only two major political parties in Jamaica, the left-leaning socialist People's National Party, or PNP, and the American-backed Jamaican Labour Party, or JLP. As that sense of inequality grew in Jamaica, the left-leaning PNP party eventually gained a majority in the Jamaican parliament in 1972. As a result, the struggle for political control between the JLP and the PNP eventually began to play out in the streets violently. The island was strongly divided, particularly in Kingston, the capital. Here is Livingston on his experience trying to record in Kingston during this violent period. In that time, it was politically charged, and I remember I have to sleep in Channel One many nights because there was like gunmen outside there firing guns. So once we go in that studio and lock it down, we don't come out until morning. Sleep on the cold concrete, sometimes on cardboard, sometimes in the drum room. We sleep in the drum room, you know, because the drum room was padded. And as he tells it, if you found yourself in the studio late at night and were unable to go home, well, you might as well cut some tracks. I remember I did a, my first album, Soweto, that I did for my friend Chester Simoy and his brother, True Seekers label. I took one night and do that album because we came and we locked down and ain't nobody going home. After 10 o'clock, ain't nobody venturing out on the street. Not even dogs walk out there. So we ain't venturing out there. So I just did that song in one night. And I mean, I was young them days. My brain was clicking. So, I mean, and I did like 12 songs that night. I didn't write one. They just, I just came to me with the rhythm, and I just watched the album. As violence grew, so did the gangs that backed the JLP and the PNP. These gangs, like Shower Posse and the Spanglers, were not just involved in the growing political division, but in the drug trade and gun smuggling as well. Here's David Katz again. The 1976 general election was really bloody, hundreds of deaths. If politically motivated violence, it was like an undeclared civil war. When the JLP regained control of the Jamaican government in 1980, the violence came to a peak, resulting in over 800 deaths that year. Every time there was a change of government, specifically in that era, the whole musical environment in Jamaica changed. And the whole musical environment where there were large Jamaican diasporic communities also changed. And most notably, this is felt in London, in New York, and in Miami. And the major change where these kind of seismic shifts happened in Jamaica is after the 1980 general election when Edward Siaga is elected. During this time, many members of these posses fled to places like Miami, Washington DC, and of course, New York City. And when they got there, well, they picked up right where they had left off in Jamaica, running drugs and guns. 
And what better way to launder the money that they were making from these illegal activities than through music studios, labels, and record stores? You live in the city You mind your own business What you see, you don't see Yet some people, they always see They never mind their own business the other change that comes into it is you start to have strange studio projects being financed that, which may or may not have been uh, money laundering or, or um, the way it was expressed to me by some artists in Jamaica was uh, during the dancehall era you started to have some producers who um, they had no musical skill or knowledge and they made their money through drugs and they were channeling drug money into recording projects. Carlton Livingston told us that these posses that came up to New York definitely played a role in the music scene. He even once recorded a couple of tracks for the infamous Shower Posse. A lot of those guys invest the profit in recording you know and some of them has never been released you know and some who knows where the tape is i remember there's some guys the infamous show up i did some some recording for them and i got paid and that was it you know when certain people call you you go according to many people we talked to for the program that was often the case Tracks would get produced and recorded by members of these posses and never get released. Anything you can do, oh, do it better than you. Anything that you can do, do it better than you. Dancehall producer, musician, and longtime Brooklyn resident Jesse Adai thinks the appeal of the music industry was too great to ignore for these posse members. But like Livingston, he rarely saw the tracks get released. That was common because when people have money, even if they're in a, a, some kind of nefarious activity, they want to be popular. You know, everybody wants to get their name out there. And with the flair of doing it with music, there is no bigger a draw than that, you see. But what, what used to happen, they used to come and they used to pay these artists. I mean, you know, almost whatever the artists want, they paying because the money is flowing. They got the money. But when they pass that stage, they don't have any idea what to do with it after that. You gotta appreciate, don't you know this sound is great? I used to be out at Philips sometime getting ready to work and see these guys out there voicing, you know, making all kind of tracks. And never came to the street. You don't know what happened to all of that stuff. I guess it just died with them. Well, sadly, that was often the fate of many of the posse members. The violence that took place around the political struggle in Jamaica continued in many ways here in the States, but instead of politics, it was carried out over control of the drug dealing. And as the mid-80s came around, 
the drugs of choice changed along with the music. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. You know, the job of choice changed the vibe of the music. Here's reggae singer Carlton Livingston again. You know, a lot of people will not admit that, but it's the truth. Make it be faster, people moving faster. So many parents are crying, turf while they are fighting, and have no time for uniting. Cookie, no respect, no time. If you know the history and understand it, you will see where the changes came along with the music. Uh, 84, 85, that's when crack started to come into the thing. Snorting a cocaine, smoking uli, and started to speed it up because everybody started to get fast. So people started to bang, 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 bang because of cocaine. Most people stop smoke weed. As crack cocaine hits Brooklyn, another seismic shift occurs in Jamaican music. The first fully digital reggae track is released with the Wayne Smith cutting under Miss Lang Tang at King Jammy's Kingston-based studio in 1985. The track kickstarts the digital age of dancehall with producers cutting rhythms, the instrumental accompaniment to a song entirely on their own with digital equipment instead of live studio bands. Along with the presence of cocaine, the music begins to speed up and become more energetic as the roots reggae sound of the previous decade begins to die out. The 80s really, you feel the presence of cocaine in the music, you know, in a way that in the 70s maybe everything seemed a bit slowed down, psychedelically stoned music with maybe marijuana as a kind of a reference point. Once you come into the mid 80s, the music gets paired right down and amped up and it's really a kind of a short attention span cocaine vibe. What are these jokes, Sean? The ball! Back then we used to say that, we used to, we used to say, because uh, when it start getting like faster, it's moving from the ganja era to the cocaine era, because <laughs> cocaine, you know, so everything start going fast, <laughs> yeah, we used to say that. Have some people are cracking them, them thief anything just below them stem, thief from me and you and even from them best friend, take away me amplifier and go sell it round the bend, and then them as he tells it, the drugs and the violence was just part of the scene. It goes hand in hand. It goes hand in hand because most of the dances that were put on was put on by druggies. So you can't, you can't escape it. It's there. I mean, sometimes it, bl- it blows over, shots fire. But on a whole, it was crazy, you know, the place was packed. <laughs> I mean, shots fire the next day, that's not going to deter people from coming to the next dance. 
Yo, people gonna come. If the clash looks good, people gonna come. <laughs> yeah. Where are rude boy? Life, love, peace with equality. So that's all? No! Excess amount of badness if necessary. No, no, man, I want them bad and bad, but them hurry come up. See? Men too much they pass through, boy, blood run like ketchup. See? I'm your original bad boy. Watch ya! Lord Jamerson Super C, yeah, yeah, we got a bad boy Come here, bad boy From me, the Jamaica Clean who no gun if who no know the answer Me a bad boy From me, the Jamaica Clean who no gun if who no know the answer Super C, a bad boy From me, the Jamaica As simple as you see me, me a bad murderer Me no stop clean my gun pan for me corner don't curl me rest matches lean and further Was a wicked little youth asked us kit and kappa Him give me the first three two beretta His guess a idiot want test the super Boom! Him does all a sweater If me got to a girl and she don't answer Healy me a ring me say help her father Me just pick up myself and then me walk over Then her me size ten in her body here You call me a bad boy Originally from Kingston, Jamaica, Jesse moved to the States in the early 70s. After playing in bands and touring around the US, Jesse settled down in Brooklyn and started working for Whitefield Henry, owner of a record store on Utica Avenue, and The Witty Level, a cornerstone in print of 80s dance hall in Brooklyn. Jesse eventually started his own label in 1987 and, like many labels at this time, began to look locally in New York for talent to record. Let's hear another track from a local Brooklyn product. Here's Knight Rider with Bad Boy Wadat of the Witty Label. Much of the music being recorded and released in Brooklyn in the 80s went unnoticed in Jamaica. But like Bulwaki, who we spoke with earlier in the show, 
Jamaica wasn't necessarily the audience it was intended for. Here's Jesse on the music he was producing. The concept to me was stripped down dance hall, you know, heavy bass and a little kind of New York flavor on top of it, basically. Let's hear another early cut from Jesse by Jamaican-born, Brooklyn-raised dancehall artist Lloyd Stiff with Wine Up. The New York flavor to me in a big way is a cross-board appeal. I was making music for it with the intention that it's going to be popular in Jamaica. Nah. The whole idea for me was, like I say, stripped down hardcore track with a more flavoring, uh, we say, a pop a little bit, you know, to get that cross-board feel. If the song got popular in Jamaica, that's just a byproduct. Brooklyn massive them, oh them wind up. The yard they massive lad, oh them wind up. Watch it, Bronx massive. While much of the music in Brooklyn may not have crossed over to the audiences in Jamaica, some did find popularity on the island. One massive hit in Jamaica from a New York-based artist was this 1988 witty-produced tune from Shelly Thunder, titled Cuff. The tune tells the tale of Thunder refusing to put up with a cheating man, leading to a good knock across the face. Let's listen. Sometimes a man forget, coof again, coof again, coof. Sometimes a man forget, coof again. <laughs> Sometimes a man forget, coof again, coof again, coof. Sometimes a man forget, coof again, coof again. For the meaning, Maria man and him name is Ricky. From last month, him a goin' like him crazy. Come home on in time after 7:30 when sun a shine and the neighbor them I see get me so vexed and it get me so angry. Thunder get mad and decide to go on nasty. Drape him up and say, listen to me now You don't know that you fi come home early Cook And when you try fi do fi disgrace Shelly Cook I throw me a woman take advantage of me Cook You want me neighbor them fi laugh out for me Cook You better move out or act properly Sometime a man fi gain, cook fi gain, cook fi gain, cook Sometime a man fi gain, cook fi gain, cook fi gain Sometime a man fi gain, cook fi gain, cook fi gain, cook Sometime a man fi gain, cook fi gain, cook fi gain Him have a girl by the name of Rosie oh, Tell me that no my friend named Mitzi Sharon tell her who tell Sharon no Beverly Behind me back the whole of them a laugh out for me Never say nothing, me just wait patiently Me know me did the catch him and them girl Rosie So one of me a wait and him Shelly Cassie Look on the clock, it a say 3.30 Jumping on me car, drive round New York City Over Watson Bridge at the hotel named Capri In the parking lot, say guess where me see Now my man a stole arms and arms with him lady Me jump out of the car and me drip him badly I say, you don't know you not for cheap on me I wish I do pose in your jewelry I hear say she all have young belly Are you a minor and a tree picking it? Money, cook, and you tell her me no who on your body, cook. Just find a yard before 
I wouldn't want to mess with her. Woo, Shelly Thunder went on to sign with Mango Records, a subsidiary of Island Records, and released a handful of records with them. As it happened, Thunder was not the only New York reggae artist to garner the attention of major US record labels. And sure enough, a number of other dancehall artists living and working in New York were signed to deals. One such artist, who was signed to a major label, went on to become arguably the biggest Jamaican-born performers to ever come out of New York City. Can you guess the international pop star we're talking about? Eh? It's Mr. Bombastic himself! Mr. Bombastic! Shaggy! We want some bombastic, romantic, fantastic lover! Shaggy! Mr. Lover, Lover, Lover! Mm. I'm Mr. Lover, Lover, <laughs> girl. Mr. Lover, Lover, mm. I'm Mr. Lover, Lover. She call me Mr. Bombastic, tell me fantastic. Touch me on me box, she says I'm Mr. Romantic. Call me fantastic, touch me on me box, she says I'm Mr. Smooth. Just like a silk, soft and cuddly, hug me up like a quilt. I'm a lyrical lover. Now take me thin or filled with my sexual physique. You know me well built, do me, yo my well well. Can't you tell? I'm just like a turtle crawling out of my shell. Girl, you captivate me body, put me under a spell with your couscous perfume. I love your sweet smell. You're the young, the young girl who can ring my bell and I can take rejection. So you tell me go to well and boom bust. During that period, you had a whole core of people, Screechy Den, Shaggy, Rayvon, Red Fox, that were all considered the Flatbush crew, and this is like late 80s, early 90s, and they really started developing a unique sound, and Shaggy became, you know, a worldwide artist. He's someone who Jamaicans love. I mean, uh, Shaggy's like, you know, one of the few dancehall artists that has aged gracefully, and every couple of years, you know, keeps having a hit, and people love him, and that's a legitimate New York artist. While Shaggy rose to international stardom, he got his start in Brooklyn. Shaggy moved there when he was 18 and soon started performing with local sound systems, groups of DJs and selectors that performed live over reggae and dancehall rhythms and songs. It was on these sound systems that many other dancehall artists gained recognition, including a young and energetic DJ by the name of Screechy Dan. While Screechy never gained the international stardom of Shaggy, his legacy as one of the most versatile and creative New York-based dancehall artists is firmly established. Well, this is Screechy Dan. Yeah, dancehall veteran. <laughs> Girls, you look so sharp Anytime you pass in the boom boom shop It's true! What's the girl's grace about? Tell her again! In your boom boom shot. I got it wide out. Run things Like many we've talked to on this program, Screechy hails originally from Kingston, Jamaica, but moved to Brooklyn as a teen with his family. I landed right in a fully dominated Caribbean community, you know what I mean, which is Crown Heights, which was very rugged at the time. Yeah, not not like not like today. Back then it was dominantly Jamaican gangs. You know what I mean? From the, the untouchables, the 40s, 
and stuff like that, wearing nothing but pinstripe suits and felt looking like um, Al Capone and his boys. <laughs> and at the same time, it was just a mixture of different things, record store here, there. So every day we used to like actually live in the record store. You know, when we get, you know, you get your allowance as kids. We just save that up and buy nothing but records. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Master God, for sending them, girl, yeah. Jesus Christ. On oh, no, a nice, I wanna take this. Watch this. Rough stuff. Y'all never want the rough stuff. Rough stuff. Them love you when you're hard and tough. Rough stuff. Y'all never want the rough stuff. Rough stuff. Love you when you're hard and tough. Watch ya. Ragamuffin rough neck. Get to Orion girls. Anyway, them gonna say them begin at the world. Them mama girl in enough diamond, gold and pearl. Mash up the van and them with this try earl. Rough stuff. Y'all never want the rough stuff. Rough stuff. Love you when Woman want a man if him no have ambition Woman want a man with no education Dollars are coming and it's a coming strong Take it from the youth where them cars screech it down Rough stuff Screechy started to perform on sound systems in his neighborhood like Earthquake and Startone but they were definitely not the only sound systems in town Early to mid 80s Brooklyn Yeah, Third World was like the beast the monster. And you have um, sound like Sons Jr. You have sound like Gargan. You have sound like um, General High Power. And you have King Champion. You have Unitone, Star Tone. You have Leo Tone from New Lats. Eruption from Flatbush. Eventually, Screechy was in high demand. Oh, well, Star Tone was my home base sound at the time after Earthquake and then Star Tone. But all these sounds that I've mentioned, personally gave me say like these sounds was a mansion the all these sounds personally gave me a room in their mansion i say yo whenever you ready you got your room because back then i used to be like mr unusual mr different no everybody used to like highly anticipating um, what i'm coming with next or how is he gonna dress or whatever, some crazy Lee Perry type thing. <laughs> the natural next step was to start recording. Many of Screechy's tracks were characterized by his versatility, energetic personality, and his ability to impersonate other artists. He even once covered country music star Hank Williams, of all people. Ole, 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 and the yodel was born in the dance hall. <laughs> That's quite a yodel. Girls, get out! If you know you can't take the walk, man. You're not afraid of your walk, now step up. I'm sure watch this. Girls, get out! If you know you can't take the walk, Screechy's talent eventually landed him a major label deal with Payday, a subsidiary of Polygram. But like many, the major labels struggled to bring dancehall artists like Screechy to a wider audience without losing their original appeal. Yeah, yeah, they was confused. It was like, um, 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 <laughs> and by the time they finished saying, um, um, your fridge getting emptier and emptier. <laughs> So she scrambled up, skin up. The ex can't be quand the walk, yeah, skin up. Say if you don't fear that the walk. 
I mean, it was frustrating uh, time after time because we human beings, you know, with, with emotions, especially when you um when you're making phone calls and nobody picking up. Weeks, there's no return call. I mean, you heard my message. Screechy eventually decided he could do better working independently and left the major label. Before um, I met up with this label, we was traveling like crazy independently. I had to throw out grocery because they get they, they they spoiling. And now I'm gonna say, yo, now if you look in my fridge, one rotten tomato. <laughs> I'm say, yo, I want to be off that. Despite the difficulties Screechy had with payday. He considered the experience to be a positive learning process. To me, it was a great experience. I wouldn't look at it as a bad experience, just to see how the industry... A lot of people out there probably look at some people who are big in the industry and think, oh, I'd like to be like that person. Probably not. <laughs> If you really find out what that person is going through behind all that business deals and whatever. That's why it's good to um, educate yourself about the business part of it. After leaving the label, Screechy continued to record and perform. And with hip-hop becoming the popular music of the day in the States, Screechy began to lend his dancehall vocal style to hip-hop-friendly beats. Despite the new sound, Screechy said it wasn't difficult to make the change. You know, when we merge hip-hop, I was comfortable with it because we've been doing it, we've been practicing it, like we almost knew this day was coming. From day one, I always experiment outside the studio, even on the sound system, even if we're in our basement just practicing. Always showing hip-hop, we always showing soca beat, R&B, all types of beat. We just used to just love our fun, you know, especially me in particular. I love to explore where music is concerned. Let's hear a hip-hop track featuring Screechy Dan. Here's Booming in Ya Jeep, which he cut with Brooklyn-based DJ and producer Kenny Dope in 1994. Hip-hop and dancehall were both a major presence in the New York music scene since the 70s, and the two styles often cross paths. Jamaican-born DJ Cool Herc and his parties in the Bronx are often cited as a major influence on the development of hip-hop. And when early hip-hop groups started to record, the only affordable studios around were often owned by Jamaicans, such as Bullwackies. But it wasn't really until the early 90s when hip-hop and dancehall began to come together musically. One major catalyst of this was Bobby Conders and his massive B sound. Bobby Conders is not from Jamaica, but from New York. In the 90s, Conders began to DJ on Hot 97, a local hip-hop station and other radio stations, by the way, 
but unlike the other DJs, Conders was playing dancehall and eventually he started remixing and producing fusing hip-hop and dancehall. One big track that really kicked off dancehall and hip-hop coming together was a hip-hop mix by Bobby Conders and a young Salam Wifi. The song was Ghetto Red Hot from dancehall star Super Cat. Let's listen. Sometimes some back and some of them a rally back We a road wide out and we no take back the chat Sometimes some back and some of them a rally back But we a road wide out and we no take back the chat The full of big chat and can't defend that If a jailhouse you come from we send in your go back The full of big chat and can't defend that If a Bellevue you come from we send in your go back Cause when them they are when they get a run hot When we look in the food for the potter Man of him 16 or 5 Max Glazer was an up-and-coming DJ during this time in New York City and regularly listened to Conders on the radio. Now an active producer and DJ who has worked with countless Jamaican dancehall artists, Glazer cites Conders' work, including tracks like Ghetto Red Hot as having a big impact on him. Ghetto Red Hot is probably more than anything the, re the, the record that like made everything meet. And those, those things are what definitely got me and I think a lot of people in a similar time frame as me more heavily into reggae because there was like a very clear um, intersection. To Glazer, the mix of hip-hop and dancehall was almost a natural progression that just made sense in New York. I mean, I think it was unique to New York. One, New York was such like a powerful center of the music business, but also has this huge Jamaican Caribbean population. It didn't happen on urban radio stations in, you know, the Midwest or in LA. So it was like in New York, it kind of just went hand in hand. It wasn't like bringing something totally different to it. The same people that were rocking to Hot 97, a lot of them, when it came to Brooklyn, Queens, and the Bronx, were people that, you know, grew up listening to, you know, Paris Hammond and Buju and the dance hall that their parents listened to. You know, like Shine does the record with, with Barrington Levy, um, and Foxy does the record with Spraga. We look at it as in the history of reggae meeting hip-hop, but those are also some of, the, like, the most New York, New York records that you can think of. Mixed it with the Trini rum and whiskey. Uh, proper set off, six bed off, gats let off. I speak calm, youngster, and pours off like screeching done, boy. Who y'all know rock product? Like in the late 90s and into the early 2000s, hip hop gained a stronghold across New York City and the rest of the states. As a result, the once vibrant reggae and dancehall scene started to wane. But dancehall clashes do still take place in Brooklyn and Queens, along with monthly shows featuring known names from reggae and dancehall's past. And now New York-born and based producers like Max Glazer and his Federation Sound or Dre Skull and Mix Pack Records regularly work with Jamaican artists and DJs around the city, putting on parties where dancehall will be heavily in the mix. 
Things have changed, but Dancehall's presence in the city still remains. In the past hour, we've tried to shed a spotlight on this often overlooked history of Jamaican music in New York City, but we could spend many more hours covering all the labels, DJs, tracks and sound systems that we failed to mention or may have overlooked. That's why we encourage you to visit afropop.org, where you can find additional information about the dance history of reggae in New York City. To take you out, here's a track from dancehall artist Red Fox over the Flatlands Rhythm, produced by New York DJ Max Glazer and Federation Sound. More money when we say all the things you ching ching ching. Money, money, dollar kind of spend. We win, we win. Cash and collect and do we ting. I'm in the money bell ring. You rusty chrome Benjamin Franklin with some nice round bone. Watch the ends yanking. Don't call me a fake clown. We not into the ramping. I'm in the money bell ring. When I the Franklin face the pretty queen with chase. I got the euro taste. Come let me see the right. Bring in the cheese, the cake, and all the cream we take. Judge free the kiss. Not how we hold the fight, you know the holy great God bless we know, I'm full we play Now we own the state and I run the place Brooklyn way off the pound wheels More money when we say all the things You ching, you ching, money, money, dollar kind of spend We win, we win, cash and collect and do we ting I'm in the money bell ring You rusty chrome Benjamin Franklin With some nice round bone, watch the ends yanking Don't call me a fake clown, we not into the ramping Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, the William H. Donner Foundation, the Nathan Cummings Foundation, and PRI, Public Radio International affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. This program is dedicated to Eric Polly. Big up to Deadly Dragon Sound for their help with this program. Visit afropop.org for videos, interviews and more. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Saxon Baird. Additional help from Shana Lip. Our chief audio engineer and co-producer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Mike Kaplan and Brandon Baker. Banning Air edits our website, afropop.org. Our producer for new media is Sam Backer. And I'm Georges Collinet. PRI Public Radio International